Welcome to the Attentive Heart Podcast, where we explore how an integration of mind, body, and spirit make us whole and enable us to become more compassionate to ourselves and to others. I'm your host, John Grabovich. Today, my guest is Peter. Peter, welcome. How about you tell us a little bit about your background and what occupies most of your time these days? Very good, very good. So I have a little bit of an unusual background. My, my father founded a not-for-profit organization in New York City, traveled the world. He founded the first junior college on the continent of Africa. Mm. He organized the teaching of the English language to Eskimo Indians in Canada. We were often giving refuge to uh, immigrants in our in our home. Um, it was actually a wonderful upbringing in that sense, you know. So I grew up, you know, with in a very compassionate home where there was always room for one more. We were always taking care of people. So that definitely influenced who I am now as an adult. Um, so for my life, I've just been trying to find what's my niche. You know, how can I best serve people, and how can I best take care of people. Um, we've housed a few refugees of our own in our home, so I've been mm. carrying on that family tradition. Um, but currently, I'm primarily a love guru, you know, helping couples, <laughs> work, helping couples work through their marital difficulties and uh, figuring out how to love each other. And it's been, uh, I've been doing that for the last 20 years, um, and uh, it's been a really interesting journey. Yeah, well, it's been an interesting journey um, for myself, too, in, in getting to know you because I've been just so fascinated with how you got to this place where you became like the love guru, so to speak. I mean, this is a really important work, and it's something that I'm happy to be kind of somewhat working with you on. Yep. Uh, so let's just talk about how you got to that. I mean, yep. what, what were the, the steps in, in sure. you getting to a place where you create a nonprofit to prepare people uh, for marriage, and also to uh, counsel them even after they get married. Exactly, exactly. So, so the good part of my upbringing was my dad being such a, and my mom, just utterly generous people. Uh, we'll call it the bad part of my upbringing. Our family was very closed in on itself, um, not very communicative, zero affection. <laughs> mm. So This was that, an Irish family, wasn't it? <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so that also deeply influenced me. Um, and I remember just to be honest, just feeling trapped inside my body and wanting to be able to express love and not knowing how to do it, not knowing how to communicate. And so part of what brought me to what I'm doing now is realizing I needed to learn, you know, how to love, how to express myself, how to be affectionate. And um, so one of my jokes, I'm one of seven brothers and sisters, but we all grew up the same way. So one of my jokes is I'm not going to learn from my brothers, you know, how to love. I'm going to learn from books. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, like in desperation, I started reading books mm. and learned a lot from them and read something in a book. Let me try that out in my own relationship. And it worked. And then I started sharing with others, hey, look, look, this is what helped me grow in this area. And so just kind of my work organically grew. I never thought I would do the work I'm doing right now. 
but it, it was born out of my own struggles and wanting to overcome my own struggles and then sharing with others, hey, this is how I overcame that. You could try mm -hmm. it too. Um, mm -hmm. just that. Yeah. So uh, how do you get something of that off the ground though? I mean, what did it take for people to trust you, uh, especially, um, you know, in as much to, to deal with, with something as personal as like relationship yeah. work? So it, it began, it began very spontaneously. Like, let's just do this. Um, the first uh, person to sign up for our program was my best friend and his wife to be. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow. So we started out very small and it was just a group of us trying to learn together. And we had already known each other. We had founded a book discussion group. So a lot of the initial group that joined our marriage preparation program, we were already friends had developed trust in each other through a book discussion group um, that had been meeting for two years. But then people started having a good experience and then, hey, can my friend, you know, come on board? And then that person invites that friend on board. And so I've been doing this for 20 years and it just grew and grew and grew. And I discovered I loved it. So that's when I decided to formalize it, to register a not-for-profit. And again, it was not like I did not have a master plan to do this. It just kind of started, discovered people liked it, and I liked doing it. So it, it just time to make it a career. Yeah. And, and this book discussion group, now I believe this is uh, Love and Responsibility, right? Is that Love and Responsibility? Okay. So for those who may not know, this is a book that was written by uh, Pope John Paul II, but well before he was Pope. And it, it really, from from what I know, it emerged so much from his own uh, time spent with young couples, um, marriage, his own type of marriage counseling, what he learned in the process. So uh, what what was the experience of reading what the Pope had to read, uh, had to write about? Um, and how was that transformative for the, the people in the discussion group? I mean, from what you remember, I know it was a while ago, but I mean, like, what, what do you remember from that? But it was a ton of fun. We had uh, 40 people in this book discussion group, of which 20 would show up for each particular discussion. We met once every two weeks uh, over the course of two years to discuss one book. Um, now, the initial plan was, okay, let's get through this book in like three sessions, you know, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and um, but it was a very fun uh, gender divide at the first session. Uh, the women were like, why do you men want to get it done? You know, let's just right. discuss the book. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Why, yeah. why do we have to like get through the whole chapter tonight? Why can't we just like talk and discuss these first three pages that are interesting and we have questions about? So one of the, but it's a very unusual concept. Have you ever heard of a book club that spent two years discussing one book. So the the thing that was the best about it, by the way, how are we gonna rebuild our society? You know, um, for me, that book club was just a great example. Um, so many of us are feeling disconnected from others. And so the, the club was virtually all single people living in Manhattan. A lot of us had families in other countries even. Um, so we were without our own family. So the best thing about the book club, it morphed into a family, you know, mm. a kind of an informal family. 
we started to go on hikes together. Someone would say, hey, there's a show at the, you know, the museum. Who wants to go to it? We, we, went, we rented a summer house each summer in the Catskill Mountains, and we would make risotto together and go on cool. hikes. So it yeah. started out as a book club. It turned into a family, but it was a family like united by a mission. You know, we want to love at a deeper level. We want to come to understand, you know, what does it mean to love someone? And so we would have these six hour discussions over pizza and beer. Yeah. Uh, like, what does this sentence mean? You know, and, and we would challenge each other. And it was just an awesome experience. Five marriages emerged from that one book club. That's, that's, that's incredible. I mean, I, I have a little experience with book clubs from the time of COVID because, uh, you know, that it was, it was pretty easy doing book clubs using Zoom. And of course, your book club was before Zoom yeah. was a thing. But like, uh, it, it, it's amazing how community can begin around um, just uh, ruminating on, on a particular work. So that's that's so great to hear. So you said five marriages came from that. Were, were you one of the five, or is that? Or how, okay, so explain to me, you know, how you met your your now wife and and what that journey's been like. So in a sense, well, yes and no. We met. We didn't meet at the book club in a sense. We met because of the book club. Uh, so we started the book club in the year two thousand, mm -hmm. and it culminated in two thousand and two. And in 2002, John Paul II uh, went to Toronto, Canada for World Youth Day. By the way, take a step back. My my best friend, best man, he and I started the book club as a conspiracy. We wanted to meet intelligent women. So that was the whole purpose. <laughs> That's too funny. That's <laughs> the whole great. purpose of the book club. Uh, we didn't like going to bars. We, we wanted to meet yeah. intelligent, good women. Yeah. So book club gave us a chance, um, but then we're going some a member of the group. Hey, John Paul II is going to Toronto, Canada. You know, let's go. It's going to be a big party. And so I organized our our trip up to Toronto, Canada. My wife had been um, uh, living in Manhattan at the time. She had grown up Catholic, kind of drifted away from the faith. The Twin Towers fell um, mm -hmm. about that time. Mm -hmm. And that drew her back into the faith, you know, just like what's going on in this world. So she was looking to get back involved in the faith and make some friends in the faith. So she wanted to go to World Youth Day and she got a friend to go with her. At the last minute, the friend couldn't make it. So my wife uh, calls around to see if there's someone else she can go with. So she calls me up, you know, can I join your book clubs, you know, trip to Toronto? Mm. I said to myself, let me wait a second to think about this. The whole purpose of this book club is to meet women. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can join our book club trip to, to Toronto. So we actually met in Toronto. So I met so my funny. wife in Toronto, Canada at World Youth Day with Pope John Paul II. That's so amazing. I, you know, Peter, we were probably in the same room together during that because I was at Toronto for World Youth Day 2002. I remember being at the session where the love and responsibility um, yep. group was discussing things. It was there was a panel discussion. I remember getting the the pamphlet handout of love and responsibility with the excerpts from it. So I'm, and I, hel I held on to that for a long time. <laughs> it, yeah. it made me through a lot of different moves. I think it was only recently that I, I passed it on to someone else. But like, uh, so we were probably there in the same place at the same yeah. time. It's 
20, whatever, 21 years ago. So, all right. So th this begins your relationship with your uh, now wife. And um, what, what did you experience um, as you start to, well, you know, fall in love and, and then get married? I mean, how did this start to um, connect to you wanting to eventually moving into like relationship work yep. into marriage prep? So we were at World Youth Day in Toronto. If you remember the, I mean, it's a whole week long events, but it culminates in the Saturday, Sunday. So mm -hmm. Saturday, hundreds of thousands of us sleeping out at that field, the prayer vigil with the Pope Saturday night. Uh, then overnight, pouring rain, Pope arrived in pouring rain Sunday yeah. morning for mass. And we're all getting drenched with frogs jumping on us. Uh, and then the Pope starts, you know, giving his homily. And we're all applauding the Pope, you know, and then I remember thinking, this is not a rock concert. We're all like applauding the Pope like he's a rock star. Right. I'm like, this is not a rock concert. He's actually talking to us. He flew all the way from Rome to come talk to us. He mm -hmm. came out in a massive rainstorm to talk to us. He's actually asking us to be light of the world and salt of the earth. That was the theme of that particular World Youth Day. Right. I'm like, he's actually asking us to do this. This is not just like a performance where we could all just clap our hands and leave. Right. So as we were driving back, I'm a, but I love long car drives. Long car drives have changed my life more than once. Mm. So a nine hour drive back from Toronto to New York. I was like, guys, the Pope asked us to be salt of the earth and light of the world. We owe him an answer. And the answer came let's start a marriage preparation program in his honor inspired by his work so that was our gift that was our way of giving a gift to john paul to our way of answering his call to be salt of the earth and light of the world so this whole uh marriage work of mine emerged out of a massive rainstorm wow wow <laughs> the pope's willingness to endure that rain and come talk to us yeah well i didn't i didn't realize that it was like that type of direct connection to it with that. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I, I do remember being on that field and with the rain and it, it yeah, you did feel like it was a, like a rock concert, but um, but clearly, I mean, we, we were all impacted by by what the Pope was saying and just by the very fact that the Pope was so insistent on being there. I mean, he was at that point he was already pretty old, and uh, I remember that was a big question as to how yep. engaged would he be. But so. So, so you start to 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 go on this this uh, with this kind of mission to have a marriage prep program, and clearly you felt there was a need for that. And how did you like? I mean, I know that we can just say in general, oh yeah, people need to have more preparation before they get married. But was there something type of experience that you had, either personally or with people that you knew that was like, wow, it would have been so much better if this person had this type of preparation, or at least was able to work these things out before they got married? Was there ever, ever moments like that where you're like, oh, I see exactly why we need this because this is not happening and it's leading to this issue and this issue could have been prevented? But I wish I could say, as with so many things in my life, I wish I could say I had really thought about what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. but it was it was just like an inspiration. Let's do it. I can 
then rewind and like, why did I do that? So I think at the time, uh, the Archdiocese of New York, where we live, had a very impersonal pre-Cana program, sometimes more than a hundred couples sitting in a school gymnasium where you would just sit through lecture after lecture after lecture. And then you would walk out with your certificate, you're ready to get married. And so I just didn't want that for myself. And I just felt there should be a, a better, deeper approach to marriage prep. Um, and so that's the why I just, you know, mm -hmm. let's, let's do this. So we had a small group. We do, I did teach for the archdiocese and um, I would teach those large groups. I tried to do it in my own way mm -hmm. that incorporated more discussion and things like that. But the program I run for, for my own not-for-profit has always been either small group or intensive one-on-one -on -one where you can really have deeper conversations and uh, stretch it out if necessary. There are couples, you know, I've met over several months, you know, for pre-Cana, guys, you need to read a book, you need to work on this, you mm -hmm. know, come back. Um, so in a, in a lecture format with a hundred couples in the room, you're not going to be able to, to give each couple exactly what they need. So, um, so that's why we have a more personalized program. I guess that was it. The goal was to have a more personalized program, but also just very much inspired by the John Paul II teaching, which had so much inspired us. So when you say we, I mean, how many people were involved in this effort? My wife and I were actually the very first students in our program. Uh, we did hire another couple. There was actually, there was one married couple in our love and responsibility discussion group, and they mm -hmm. became the couple that taught the program initially. So we hired them to teach the program. They had been members of our group. They were the one married couple that was, and then my wife and I would organize the sessions and my friend who organized the book club with me, he and his fiance as well, joined in, in as students, but also co, you know, helping set things up and everything. Certainly back then, I think they would even come to some of the next sessions, but then we all started having these things called children. <laughs> <laughs> so my wife always taught with me before we had children. Mm -hmm. Now she takes care of the kids while I teach. So it's become more of a solo thing for me right now. Got but it. there was a team at the beginning. I see. So let's get right into the nuts and bolts. So you, you're, what, what are the steps? And, and So first I should say I have three essential bits of practical marriage advice. There's also three spiritual points that I really focus in on as well. So I try to okay. get that in the program. How did you eventually come to the point where you thought, okay, it's these three. This is really it. Why do I uh, focus it on these three? Because when I review people's focus exercises with them, I can see what are the problems that most couples have in marriage. And um, like a lot of couples come back to me for marriage counseling, even years later. I had a couple recently fly in from Mexico City to see me 13 years later. Peter, we need help. We don't know who to turn to by a very successful couple from Mexico City, it was exactly their failure to do these three things that got them in trouble. Mm. So just having met thousands of couples, you just, you, you're able to see and pinpoint. So to go through the top three advice. Here we uh, go. Here we go. I actually like to do it in, I like to do it in reverse order. Right. Uh, 
So the essential marriage advice number three, the failure to make time for connection and shared fun is the most common marriage complaint. Couples drift apart. You always hear that we grew apart. The solution, maintain a shared calendar and put your marriage on the calendar. It's just amazing to me that couples don't prioritize their marriage. I did emergency counseling for a couple last night. Uh, they, I taught in pre-K a few years ago. Uh, they're going to be visiting her family for her birthday this coming weekend. And he just doesn't want to go. We've been spending too much time with your family. They're arguing about time spent with family. The real issue, they were not spending time with each other. They were just not spending time with each other. So having a shared calendar, uh, using the calendar as an objective record, are we taking care of ourselves? Are we making time for each other? They're really putting your marriage on the calendar. Couples who prioritize their marriage uh, obviously do so much better at marriage, but we take each other for granted. So having a shared calendar is like an excellent tool to hold you accountable. I like to say my shared calendar gives me a kick in the pants and I need a kick in the pants. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's such a simple advice. I mean, you think that more people would already be doing this. So I guess I have two questions. First off, why don't you think people just naturally do something like this? I mean, I feel like we're so like into our devices and to our computers and, and into our schedules. Like, why wouldn't that we naturally do that? And then secondly, for yourself personally, maybe you give us a little example of what exactly do you schedule, um, you know, for, for, to, for your marriage? A lot of people feel that marriage should come naturally. I mean, people even argue with me, it should come naturally. And I've actually come to believe the exact opposite uh, that, you know, marriage should be challenging. You, you know, I, I tell couples, you want marriage to be challenging. To, to have a happy marriage, you need to become a better person. You you need to become a better team. So, so a lot of people, they have the, they have the calendar for work, but not for their marriage. You know, that's so many people tell me that. Mm -hmm. A couple I met last night, and this is a very common male comment. Uh, she's my calendar. I hear that all the time. Huh. Right, 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 right. <laughs> So people just take each other for granted. You know, they, I think people expect marriage to be easy. Um, so I think that's one reason why people just, you know, don't have a shared calendar for their marriage. It's such a simple fix um, that revolutionizes marriage. But I'm convinced that half of marriage misery would be eliminated if couples just had a shared calendar and used it not just to be organized, but to make sure they're spending time with each other. Um, now for my wife and myself, as one small example, we committed to a, an annual tradition of going away for Memorial Day weekend every year and to make it a technology-free weekend. Um, <laughs> mm. Mm. Without the calendar, by the way, I'm so busy, I wouldn't even be aware it's Memorial Day weekend. It's amazing how often uh, we get to Memorial Day weekend and we don't want to do it. You know, there's so many things we have to get done. Uh, do we really, do we really want to go away for Memorial Day weekend? We usually go away to the Catskill Mountains, by the way. Mm -hmm. And, but hey, it's on the calendar. Let's do it. And we go away and it just like refreshes us. Um, we have an unorthodox work schedule. Uh, so my wife and I also have a Monday morning date on our calendar. We have a one hour coffee date every Monday morning. 
Sunday night, I'm usually exhausted. I don't want to talk to my wife. But Monday morning, after a good night of rest, I'll share with her the story of the couples I met that weekend. And so that's another example, like a Monday, we have a Monday morning date. By the way, we would never have a Monday morning date if it weren't on the calendar. Yeah, that's so interesting. And do, is it a date where you're going out or you're just making time at home? Making time at home or yeah. we go for a walk around our neighborhood. Sure. But yeah. That's great. He is, he is distraction free. But one of the huge themes of the research, the importance of non-distracted time together. And so the calendar helps us be on the same page. Friday night, no one's on devices. You know, Thursday night, if you want to be on devices, that's okay. But Friday night, let's make that a night to connect as a family without devices. Um, I was always reading a book, watching a documentary, catching up on sports scores. My poor wife was, mm. you know, I was, you know, I was living with her, but not available to her. So mm -hmm. putting time on the calendar helped, you know, us consistently make time for each other. Yeah. So great. So number two. Number two advice explains a lot. When I read the research on marriage, I was like, this explains a lot. And if the whole world learned this, it would be a happier world. Uh, so Dr. Gottman, the world's leading researcher on marriage, from his research estimates that for the average couple, 91% of the time is the wrong time to talk. 91% of the time is the wrong mm. time to talk. When I read that, I was like, this explains everything. I love my wife, but she kept talking to me at the wrong time. <laughs> and, mm. Mm. You know, getting in arguments over nothing. And looking back, we got in arguments over nothing because we were talking late at night you know, talking when you're exhausted, um, talking when you're busy. So are you ready for my number two essential marriage advice? Yes. Don't force the conversation. Ask, when can we talk? Set a time to talk that works for both of you. You will have more thoughtful and constructive conversations when you give each other time to prepare. And you should, so put, that, and you should put that on your shared calendar. Yeah, we do. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so that it's, it's interconnected. Well, yeah. So tell me more about this because I, I almost fear as if someone would be like saying, do we really have to talk now? I don't want to talk now. And, but never proactively make the time to talk. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, what, yeah. how do you negotiate through that? So the solution is, but I used to tell my wife, not now let's talk later, which then forced her to ask again. At which point I would say, actually, not now either. Let's talk later. Mm -hmm. And poor wife would have to ask me 10 times to discuss even something small. And it would just get so frustrating for her and then, and then for me. So in our marriage, we have the rule, ask once, never make the other person ask twice. You know, look at your calendar if you need to. That's why I start with the calendar advice, by the way. The calendar does help. If 91% of the time is the wrong time to talk, it's helpful to have a shared calendar and look at it. That's why we came up with the idea of Monday morning dates, because we're looking at our calendar. Hey, I'm just going to be too tired Sunday to talk about anything. So, but Monday morning, that would be a good time to talk. So ask once, never make the other person ask twice, commit to a specific time. So I recommend that the reluctant talker is the one that has to make the, the specific promise. So in my marriage, it's usually me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, reluctant talker. Mm. 
okay, we'll talk 7.30 a.m. over breakfast, you know, um, you know, over coffee Monday morning. And then by, for 19 years, I've actually kept every promise. I've learned to under-promise. I never promised to talk to my wife after work because I could have a long day, the train could break down. Um, so I've learned to under-promise and really try to always deliver. So now my wife is patient, you know, she trusts me. But my, you've heard it said, don't go to bed angry. It's actually invalid advice. It's actually better to go to bed angry than to stay up talking. So our marriage is don't raise issues late at night. If you're upset late at night, never go to bed without setting a time to talk and never go to bed without affection. So affection yeah. is the absolute rule. But setting a specific time is very calming. My wife relaxes, okay, I don't have to ask him 10 times. For me, I'm like, whew, I have space to think. Well, what? how do you view the intermediate time? Like, I, I always feel like, all right, if I know I'm gonna have to talk to this person in like three days or whatever, I mean, there's a lot of yep. you know, feelings that go through that time, right? You're in, I think in some ways you, you can be feeling anxious or getting concerned or just like, just yep. wanting to get it over with almost. I mean, like, I'm sure there's lots of different emotions, I guess, and of course, depending on what the topic is that you're going to talk about. I mean, is do you find that scheduling it just somehow mitigates those emotions more? Or I mean, like, what's been your personal experience? Well, the first time, by the way, I call it like a, a variation of a scheduled conversation is a timeout. So a timeout mm. is, you know, my wife brings something up. And she's a little upset at me, maybe, but clearly the conversation is not going in the right direction. Hey, we need a timeout. Mm -hmm. Let's talk at 9.30 tonight. Now, the first time we did a timeout, my wife came to me two minutes into the timeout. I can't wait that long. <laughs> you know, mm. we, we need to talk right now. Right. So my wife, was, my wife was actually very tense during our first waiting period. She was half as tense, but still tense during our second waiting period. But by the third waiting period, she was actually cheerfully giving me the time and space I needed. So here's a key point. So it's not enough to just set a time. Let's talk about this hot button issue Wednesday at 9 p.m. I mean, that's great to do that as opposed to talking right now. But you have to effectively use that waiting period to have a better conversation. So I do give couples a step-by-step how to use that waiting period so you have a great conversation always and so calm down you know you can't think until you're calm okay why do i feel this is such an important issue to me why did i get so upset mm -hmm. to, my, to my surprise by the way i discovered i never understood myself in an argument you know it's like i knew what i wanted but i didn't know why i wanted it I remember the one of the very, very first timeouts we called, I laughed at myself. If I don't understand myself, how's my wife supposed to understand me? You know? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so self-awareness, that space, like what's truly important to me here. By the way, people are very ineffective. People don't ask for what they need. They, they complain about something, but they don't really ask for what they actually need. So this waiting period, we'll call it, gives you a chance to like, what is it that I truly need?
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Attentive Heart Podcast. We hope that you were able to find it helpful in your spiritual journey and practice. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Sunday to Sunday Productions and The Witness Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and share it with friends.